Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert. GovCIO Media and Research is live here at the 2022 HIMSS Conference in Orlando. Throughout this week, we'll be releasing special episodes, catching up with federal leaders at the show across our podcast platforms, including GovCast and CyberCast. For this episode, Heather Agler, Senior Program Manager in the All Hazards Readiness, Response, and Cybersecurity Group in the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health, joins us to recap her presentation on supply chain challenges and risk mitigation strategies for medical device shortages. As we know, the COVID-19 pandemic highlighted critical supply chain challenges. The sudden increase in demand for personal protective equipment, ventilators, diagnostic testing products, and more were unavailable due to the sudden surges in demand. Agler will dive into how FDA leveraged lessons learned to develop a new proactive strategy to improve supply chain resilience and better inform stockpiling strategies. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather. It's great to have you on the show to go over some of the HIMSS talking points that you have prepared and uh, get a little extra feedback on what you discussed during the conference. Thank you. I really appreciate the, the invite to be here and I look forward to our discussion. Yeah, so to kick things off, let's talk about HIMSS. So during your talk at the conference, what are one or two key takeaways that you want your audience to walk away with? Sure, I, I think the primary takeaway is that what we have experienced and found um, is that medical device supply chain data is incredibly complex and only through combining different data sources, both inside and outside of the FDA, and using predictive analytics, can we really get to a robust picture that will help us predict and mitigate shortages in the future? And that is really what we're trying to do here is to build a robust program so that we can really um, proactively look at shortages and um, mitigate them before they ever affect patient care. Yeah, that's great to hear. So to dive into that a bit more, I'd be interested to learn more about how you're facilitating collaboration with medical device developers and FDA to reduce the regulatory hurdles and improve speed of delivery for innovative technology solutions. Sure. Um, yeah, so currently I run our medical countermeasures uh, innovation program here at the Center for Devices and Radiological Health. And what we do is we facilitate the development of new innovative medical countermeasures and also medical devices to help the warfighter as well. We include those when we talk about medical countermeasures in FDA. And as you said, our goal is to shorten the time it takes to get safe and effective medical countermeasures so, so that they are available when they're needed. And we really do this through a program. We work with our federal partners, um, including um, the Department of Defense, BARDA, ASPER and others to get the new medical countermeasure devices cleared and approved. And we cultivate these relationships with our government partners so that they really understand, have this two-way conversation so that they really understand FDA processes and that we really understand their current medical device needs. Um, and these relationships have been incredibly important throughout this pandemic. Uh, but we accomplish this through outreach and education and collaboration. We do have regular meetings with Department of Defense and the different components of Department of Defense and BARDA to really answer any key questions they have on the regulatory pathway if they're trying to develop a new device um, and explain current FDA thinking around and also current FDA guidances as they come out to make sure they really understand the key 
the key testing or other factors that they need to know for development. And then also we connect them with our internal subject matter experts to answer their questions. And that can be key because as we put out guidances and our thoughts, there can be gray areas. And sometimes it's figuring those gray areas out that can be the most difficult. But we also work internally with our review teams within CDRH to make sure that they understand the unique needs and use environments associated with medical countermeasures and the military devices that are being developed. Often the companies supported by these efforts are small and they do not have a lot of experience working with the FDA. Uh, so we will work with these companies to make sure they have a good understanding of the processes and make sure they understand the best way that they can ask questions and effectively use the programs that we have. What we really want is to have a three-way working relationship among the FDA, the sponsoring government agency, and the medical device developer to really help keep everyone on the same page so that everyone understands the process, the type of test, and the type of testing that is appropriate. And that way, when a pre-market submission does come in the house, there are less questions and less surprises so that we can get those uh, devices out on the market. Yeah, that sounds like a great process. And it's interesting to hear the defense overlap with that. Um, as you mentioned, the pandemic highlighted new supply chain vulnerabilities across government. Could you discuss how FDA pivoted to address these gaps? Sure. And, you know, it's been quite a process throughout uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, but you know we learned very quickly that the scope and magnitude of the supply chain issues that were going on during the pandemic was going to be very different than past emergencies that we had faced. And there are many challenges, including uh, limited medical device data. So the information that really needed to have a complete look is really distributed among various data sources, and. Um, and the medical devices themselves are diverse, not just, not just in terms of technology, but the raw materials and even how they're distributed and having an understand some can be sold directly from the manufacturer, some go through your large distributors and, um, and understanding that process was important. And then different types of data may have varying degrees of importance based on the device type. We also had limited regulatory authorities going into the pandemic. Uh, we had no shortage authorities for devices before 2020. And now we do have, um, now manufacturers do need to notify FDA of disruption in manufacturing or the ability to keep up with demand during a public health emergency and gathering signals through the 506, it's called the 506J of the FDNC Act. Getting those signals has really helped us sort of have insight when there are strains on uh, the supply chain. But most information provided by manufacturers has been voluntary, so it's been very important to create better relationships with the manufacturers. Um, and our center was building a shortages program. We, we were talking about building one and working on it and, and really doing a lot of shortages work, but not having a formal program before the pandemic. So we were building this uh, program during the response. And so pulling together data and information um, in the beginning was very manual and did strain resources. And sometimes the information was complete. And so a lot of times we had no insight into the raw materials or components that are necessary for producing the devices. So we had to think outside the box. We had to find solutions to these supply chain issues. And we did this through allowing the use of novel products through our emergency use authorization authorities. We also looked at novel manufacturing. So we worked with manufacturing industries that really aren't 
typical for the medical device industry. And, you know, some of those were in the news, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, we worked with the automotive industry and the aeronautical industry to help partner with ventilator manufacturers to take, to um, manufacture the needed components or parts that they might needed to greatly increase the production of ventilators. And then we also looked at um, novel policies and approaches. So we utilized our emergency use authorization to authorize products to combat shortages. And we also utilized enforcement discretion for certain changes to devices through our immediately in effect guidances. We also had to think strategically in assessing the shortages and developing mitigations. So we created a group within our center to outreach to various groups and create a list of products critical to the care of COVID patients. Um, in this way, we wanted to understand those medical devices which were had an increased use in hospitals and might be at risk of um, having supply challenges. We also collaborated with government agencies to share information. And we did a lot of outreach to non-government groups to find new sources of data to further enhance the information from a turtle databases. One of them, um, we did reach out to group purchasing organizations, distributors, manufacturers, and professional societies. And during the session here at HEMS, uh, Premier, one of the large GPOs, is one of the places where you know they had a unique data source that we try we are utilizing to combine with the databases that we have in-house at FDA to try and create a more robust picture of the supply chain. And then we looked at many ways to mitigate the shortages. So looking to mitigate the shortages not just after they are felt by the healthcare community, but also to prevent the shortages. Um, we really needed to work collaboratively with manufacturers to understand the device availability concerns. And we also needed to work with other groups, as I mentioned, uh, GPOs, uh, Premier, Vizient, and others, distributors, to understand the landscape of the market, major market players. And the type of mitigations that we can use include the EUAs that we talked about, expediting the review of new products so that they can be on the market, enforcement discretion, promoting conservation strategies, uh, communications to healthcare providers. And then there are others that are sort of outside of FDA. And so there are other things, other agencies within the government that can um, help these companies. So what we will do is partner with our agency um, colleagues and help point those uh, manufacturers to those agencies if they still needed help. But we did, uh, finally, we did start a resilient supply chain and shortages prevention program. And we're very excited to get this program in place. Um, we really do have a lot of activities already going on, of course, um, but it is still growing and we're still developing. And having this program really in place is gonna give us the cool tools that we need to have a real proactive look at preventing shortages. Yeah, it's been great to watch FDA as it ramps up its operations and scales to meet the new demands that were brought on by the pandemic. Earlier, you mentioned uh, data and how you use data to uh, bolster your supply chain. So I'd be interested to learn a bit more about that. How is FDA modernizing its collection and analysis of data to improve supply chain operations? Uh, and are you leveraging any new technology tools like automation, for example, to improve accuracy or decision-making? Yeah, so we are truly in the development mode of adding automation 
So during this pandemic, we learned very quickly that some of the limitations of the data that we currently have in our databases really um, sort of limited what we could do. Um, some of the limitations that we have though in our data are, are limitations in the reporting and in authorities of the FDA. So, you know, that was a concern. And so we knew we needed to look outside of FDA for data as well. But internally, our, data, our databases are not necessarily connected. So that was one of the things that we needed to address. And um, we have analysts actively uh, working, working on that situation so that we now have a ability to connect some of these different databases, which are our registration and listing, which um, gives us information about manufacturing, our imports data, also our, our unique device identifier data, all of that uh, so that we can look at it in one place. Also, some of the limitations are registration and listing data. This is where manufacturers register, register the site where they are, and then they list the devices that are manufactured there. And even if a device is listed there, it doesn't mean that it's actively being made there. So it can be a little bit deceiving. And so understanding true production volumes and where things are actively being made is important. But um, so there are also many limitations for external data due to the diverse nature of medical devices. Like I said, one of the big things is that they are distributed in very different ways, which makes it harder to go to one place to get a complete look at um, the volume of devices that are out there and the market share. So we looked at creating better ways to combine our databases and to seek out new sources and first, we needed to develop more automated ways to understand the connections among firms and products associated with medical device supply chain from the raw material to the end user, which requires an overall survey of data that CDRH currently has available and also acquiring external sources. And the initial development phase focused on available firm and product information, such as registration and listing. Our pre-market submissions, so the 510Ks or PMAs that um, have been cleared or approved, so the products that um, could be on the U.S. market, and then the shipping and imports data that I mentioned earlier. External sources were also identified to incorporate additional supply chain and product details, along with the data that may inform risks to the supply chain, such as weather events. And the core data and analytics environment will continue to mature with additional data connections and modeling capabilities. So currently we are building and piloting several IT solutions that combine our internal data set with what we have been bringing in from the outside. And, and some of that is what uh, you will see at the talk at HIMSS, we'll, talk, we'll show some of that data uh, that Premier has that we are able to combine with our data. And they have developed some dashboards that we can use to, to look at the data itself, that which gives us some ability to predict. But we're actually taking that raw data too and combining it with our internal data to create new ways of looking at the data. So new dashboards and coming up with predictive analytics to look at the data as well. One of the things that we're doing is called a risk scorecard which talks about different types of risk categories, such financial risk, geographic risk, transportation risk, for given device types. And we'll give like a scorecard for those that we think might be at most risk to going into shortage if there was an issue with one of these uh, categories. That's currently being developed. Uh, there is some piloting of some of the information that we have internally, but we're very excited about having this tool available to us.
And we also have our product authentication program, which has com utilizes the combined databases from FBA to very quickly look at information um, on some of the devices to help pick, at, uh, pick out any of the fraudulent devices that might be coming into the US. We are looking forward to developing better automation within our systems, and we feel that that is the key uh, for being able to pick up on shortages early so that we can mitigate them before they affect patients. Yeah, that's great to hear and very innovative. So I'm excited to watch how that unravels in the coming months, years. <laughs> uh, so as you're developing these dashboards, using automation, uh, all to improve supply chain, could you discuss uh, some of the methods and lessons learned FDA has identified to improve resilience and better inform stockpiling strategies? Sure. Uh, there have been many lessons learned during the pandemic, and I believe that uh, we as a center have shifted how we've responded to the shortages multiple times throughout this pandemic. Um, as I said, especially with building a program as we're responding, we were constantly uh, looking at lessons learned. So one lesson learned quickly was that we needed to be strategic with our outreach to medical device manufacturers and the information that we were gathering from others. In the beginning, it's, uh, it's like we are trying to boil the ocean, right? We were trying to contact as many manufacturers as possible and to have a complete look at production volumes. This is very tedious and very time consuming. But what we found is that there are times that while this could be important to get this detailed information when determining a shortage, uh, sometimes reaching out to the top market leaders for given devices, Eric, can give us a much more quick look at the challenges and severity of current situation. Uh, really what we wanted to do is have that quick assessment so that if there was an immediate need for mitigations, we could get the ball rolling on how to mitigate those shortages right away and then still be able to continue to collect information as needed for completing the assessment of the current situation. And we also learned to work closely with our government partners. You know. There hasn't been a pandemic of the scope. And so navigating the structure and making sure you, we were in, in the right conversations was a focus at the beginning. And while we did already have like close working relationships with many of these government partners, the pandemic showed us how different agencies can really help to mitigate short shortages. And the pandemic also showed our government partners that as the FDA in the post-market realm, we do play a role in shortage mitigation. So you know, in educating the other agencies on what we could do in terms of helping with availability of certain products, I think was key. And helping them understand that the regulatory framework can be key in making decisions on the best path forward for these supply chain issues. And then we did learn to think more broadly in terms of who can help when there is a supply chain challenge. Like it had not occurred to us previously that we would be talking to the aeronautical industry or automotive industry for producing parts for ventilators. We also worked with a textile industry that you know, hadn't been involved with medical devices before to help with PPE production and uh, to make specialty fibers for other medical devices. CDRH often looked only at the manufacturers that were regulated by FDA. Even though other industries were not regulated by FDA, they can often play an important role in building resiliency into the supply chain. 
So our center did work for years with suppliers, manufacturers, and other stakeholders to anticipate, identify, and prevent and or mitigate shortages in the medical supplies chain, but the pandemic demonstrated the need for a program that is focused on proactively working with industry and interagency stakeholders to build and strengthen resilience among medical device supply chains to assure the availability of safe and effective medical devices. And this proactive capability requires risk mitigation and risk avoidance, which eventually should lead to prevention. So while FDA does not stockpile devices for emergencies, we do take the information that we've learned through the pandemic and work with ASPR and the SNS to understand the needs for future emergencies. And the lessons learned from the pandemic will help us better inform those discussions. Yeah, that was a great answer. Thank you so much. And I think if there's one thing that we all took away from the pandemic is developing these proactive strategies to combat crises before they happen. So earlier you mentioned uh, the new resilient supply chain group within CDRH. How did you conceptualize this team and what are some of the challenges the group looks to address or some of your top goals in 2022? Right. So yeah, this is a very important and exciting uh, program that's being built right now in CDRH. And um, it was really established to meet the need for proactive capabilities to address medical device supply chain threats by building resilience in the medical device supply chain. So coming up with a way to prevent shortages before they occur. And our leadership wanted to have a shortages program that did not just react to reported shortages, but instead build a program that was proactive as I mentioned before. And this does require better understanding of the supply chain, including component manufacturers and raw material manufacturers. And the program promotes building resiliency at, at all levels. And what we found is that, you know, you can see things where it looks like you have six different manufacturers, you know, large manufacturers of a device, but when you look deeply into it, they may all rely on the same resin pr uh, production in terms of the raw material for producing. So all of a sudden then you have a weak link in the supply chain. So those are the types of you know, nodes of weakness in the supply chain that we're trying to um, uncover. Now, this program uh, will provide leadership, coordination, and support to inform strategies, plans, and practices to prevent shortages. It will enable rapid intervention through proactive regulatory measures and partnerships, develop and apply state-of-the-art supply chain intelligence to continuous monitoring, predictive modeling, and early signal detection, identify and communicate opportunities to strengthen resiliency and enhance response and mitigate, mitigation investments and actions. So this pro program is really a combination of the work that has been in development within CDRH for many years. So we use the lessons learned from past emergencies and really focused on the preparedness side of things. And again, as we keep mentioning, building resiliency. So that preparedness part is key. And that's something that we have been doing um, through responding to hurricanes that hit different parts of the US and being able to focus on what devices might be more vulnerable to shortages and uh, checking in with those companies after a hurricane to make sure that production hasn't gone down. And for this, for this program, we brought in Tammy Beckham and she has done an amazing job to lead this program. She has also brought in uh, several supply chain specialists. And what's been key here is these specialists really bring a different perspective to the process compared to 
the medical device specialists that we already had in-house. And really combining the two specialties has led to a more robust look at the supply chain. And there are new focuses on supply chain illumination and understanding of different elements of the supply chain. So um, as a center, we are looking at not just the medical device manufacturers, but now we are looking deeper into the tier one and tier two suppliers for those medical device manufacturers. And really understanding that even though the products are made by two different manufacturers, that they may depend on the same supplier for raw materials. And the focus of this response really has shifted in terms of shortages, which has allowed us to learn about different parts of the supply chain. But really initially, it was all about restriction of exports from China. And so all our focus was what's being made in China that we might not have access to. And then the next phase was once the pandemic was here on our shores, you know, what, what was gonna be at risk due to these unprecedented sharp increases in demand for devices such as PPE, ventilators, blood collection tubes, and other types of devices. And then today, most of the issues we are hearing about are due to raw material challenges, such as semiconductors, resin, silicone, and even paper. So it really has, we've really had to shift our focus and learn about different parts of the supply chain throughout uh, this response. But this experience will help us in the future to look at supply chain issues that appear to be outside of the medical device industry, but may still affect the raw materials or components used in devices. And being able to identify these signals earlier allows us to start mitigations and prevent shortages instead of reacting to shortages that may already be affecting patient care. Yeah, that's a very exciting group, and I look forward to seeing the progress that you all make with that. Uh, so to wrap up this episode, let's talk hymns. What are some central themes that will arise during the conference this year, and what do you hope to learn? Yeah, so I think that some of the central themes will be around automation. I mean, the hot topics are always, you know, AI, machine learning, but, you know, in healthcare, like using data analytics and algorithm developments to, to develop and automate the interpretation of data is really a key component in improving healthcare. And we see lots of exciting uses of automation through um, designing uh what we call physiological closed loop control system. So ways to more automate patient care based upon um, monitoring the vital signs of patients. And so being able to analyze data within um, health records to, to help better provide uh, recommendations that help in the diagnosis of disease. I, I feel that like all of these areas are quite exciting. I definitely look forward to watching uh, how automation is supporting healthcare. But yeah, thank you for joining and I look forward to connecting in the future. And thank you so much for the invitation. It's been um, uh, pleasant to sit here and discuss the issues with you. Thanks for tuning in. Follow our other shows for more coverage throughout the conference this week. You can head over to govciomedia.com to find more HIMSS insights and to subscribe to our newsletter. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. 
And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.